from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Hello, and welcome to the Cry Havoc Podcast. Today around the table we have... Jenny Curlin, I'm an actor. Carrie Flanagan, I'm an actor. Tim Davis, I'm an actor and a writer. And Kit Lavoie, I'm a writer and a director. Today, we're going to be talking about sensory work. Sensory work is an often misunderstood tool that is in the actor's tool bag. And today, we're going to try to demystify a little bit what it actually is, talk about how it's used, and then, of course, talk about how we use it in our own processes as actors. Sensory work is something that was and is a critical part and central part of the Stanislavski system of acting, which evolved into method acting. A lot of people, I think, think it is method acting, although it really is is just a, a tool within that. And essentially what it's about is a way of creating stimulus that you can react to and things that you can react to both as a circumstance in a play, for instance, if you are in a, in a, a scene where it's hot, where you can help create that for yourself in a real way, or as something that you can respond to emotionally. And again, those can figure into your process in a, in a number of different ways. The central thing for Stanislavski that made sensory work different from other kinds of work that dealt with those sorts of things was drawing the line, and we'll talk about it, in the difference between reliving something and remembering something. That sensory work is essentially an approach that allows you to strip away the subjective things that you have attached to a memory and try to find what your real response is to some sort of sensory stimulus. And it actually is something that is should not be incredibly foreign to anyone because it's something that people encounter in their day-to-day lives. Any time that you think of a delicious meal and you find that your mouth is watering, you're having a sensory reaction to something. And the idea of sensory work is figuring out ways, and we'll, we'll talk about how to do that, where you can tap into other similar memories that will create in you those same kinds of involuntary responses that will make your work real and honest in ways that it isn't if you try it on from the outside. I will actually say that I was initially very skeptical of sensory work when I started working with it. And I think a lot of people are because they don't understand it. And candidly, I thought when I thought we should do an episode about this, we talked about doing an episode, I thought we should, but I thought I actually probably won't have a lot to contribute because I don't use it that much in my work. But actually, as I was going through things and, and preparing for, for this, I actually realized how much my work really is informed by the training I had in sensory work and, you know, ways that, that it comes in. So I, I'm actually really interested to talk about it with you guys. So sensory work, that's sort of an overview of, of what it is. Do you, do, Tim, do you have a... I know it's an important uh, part of your process, especially. Do you have a, a definition of it that, that you tend to use? Well, I, I think you were, you were really... Your definition, my definition, were really pretty close. The way I would define it is that you're creating uh, an experience and a belief through the memory of your five senses to stimulate uh, yourself as the actor into truthful, believable action. 
And I think the where a lot of the controversy lies in is uh, when you bring the, the word memory into it, although I think that's the technical, the, the correct technical way to refer to, to the work, but to sort of avoid potential conflict, I just tend to just refer to it as sensory work, um, because I think it's, it's the memory part that people who aren't familiar with the work or have misunderstandings of the work, that's the word that tends to jam them up. Uh, I actually have a memory of when I first started working about that specifically when I first started working on it is um which actually it ended up becoming a very um useful exercise in focus pure, purely just focus because when we started working on sense memory we would try to recreate a cup of coffee that you had in the morning and uh, almost immediately human instinct will create some it will evoke something from you from your life experience anything and uh if you found, if our teacher found our, uh, us drifting into some memory and all its subjective attachment to it, all the things we have attached to it, he would always say the same thing, and he'd say, "That's fine. That's fine. What's happening? It's just not what we're doing right now." And we'd come right back to just literally trying to remember the cup of coffee through feeling it, smelling it, tasting it, and uh, that's what pulled us away from the the memory of mm-hmm. it, like and and the things that come up when you're first starting to work on it. It becomes something that becomes useful down the line, but. I think what's also important about, you know, Kate, you said that you were very skeptical of, of sensory work when, when you know, that was sort of first introduced in, into your training. And, you know, what Carrie says reminds me of, of why that often occurs initially, which is that most often what happens when an actor first, first attempts to do sensory work, where they have an object or, or some uh, overall sense, whether it's, it, it is a cup of coffee or that it's raining or that, that it's very hot out. What the actor's aware of is them trying to create that as opposed to trying to imagine that object or that thing exists. So what the actor becomes aware of is them standing there pretending to be staring at an object that isn't there and then, you know, and then not seeing it because what they're aware of is them trying to see it as opposed to uh, seeing it and then, uh, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but it would, what I do often then is you just ask yourself questions about that object to describe it in as much detail as possible through my five senses so that my focus is on the thing I'm trying to create rather than me you know, being aware of me trying to create it. The, the other reason I think why people are skeptical about it is because, we'll get to this later as well, but often the temptation is to pick sensory work where you feel you already know what the result is and so what the emotional result is. So you start trying to go for the result. So what happens is, is you wind up sitting there staring at this object that's imaginary that you think is supposed to make you sad. And, you, <laughs> and you know, so you're sitting there wondering why it's not making you sad. Then you go, oh, this this obviously doesn't work, um, um, but you know, and we'll, I think we'll we'll get into a, a full discussion about it. But I I think those are the two big obstacles for people in sort of investing in sensory work. Well, I can actually imagine people right now listening to this who don't do sensory work themselves or who have not had training, thinking, "Well, that's all well and good, but what is the point of imagining your cup of coffee in the morning?" And I actually think that we will uh, get to that. But first, to be clear, what when you say you're working on a cup of coffee? You touched on it a little bit, Tim, but what does that mean? How, how do you work on a cup of coffee? Well, what 
I mean, I've had a cup of coffee before in my life, um, and, and, <laughs> right and I don't mean to be glib about that, but so what I'm doing with my exercises to work on a cup of coffee is, is I imagine before me a cup of coffee that I've had before and I just, and in, in front of me, and I invest in the sensory experience of what that cup of coffee would be like if it were actually there, what it smells like, how hot it is, what the color of it is what the weight of the glass is, when I pick it up, is it an easy object to hold, how far can I tip it in any direction before the coffee would spill out of it, uh, how much sugar I would put in it. All these things allow me to focus on the creation of the cup of coffee. Again, so I'm not focused on myself, I'm focused on this object. So that's how you would work specifically on a cup of coffee. And then sensory work would basically be in any type of of, of element that would utilize the senses. So I would work on, say, cold in a similar way. You'd work on a, a hot shower. These are all like basic exercises that if you were to first start training in sensory work, this is what you would do. Where Essentially what you're trying to do is explore and investigate and experience all of the sensory elements of that aspect as if it actually existed. And I think um, a couple of things about that, which is one thing that I do think is important. I think we often forget, but I think is one of the really important things uh, to sensory work is actually doing relaxation before you get into it. That it's, you know, there's all sorts of exercises you can do to relax yourself, but your results are much better if you can really just sort of clear your palate of what you've got to find out. Because again, exactly like what you just said, ultimately what you're doing is investigating what does this thing do to you. And similarly to, to what you said before about if you're looking for it to quote-unquote make you sad, um, you never know. I have I found, and again, it's not something I use a lot in my, in my day-to-day working life now, but when I was doing a lot of it when I was studying, I was always surprised by what a stimulus would do for me. And so an awful lot of really what ongoing sensory work is, and, um, and I mean, there are a lot of teachers who will say, you should do a sensory exercise every day. A lot of actors do. I think you probably do, Tim, where you, you pick something every day and work on it and find out what it does to you so that when you're called upon to you to have a result, you know what things you can work on that will give you that result because you've investigated them and not because you're guessing that this sort of stimulus is going to give it to you. Um, and also, I think something that, that is, is, is worth saying is important that with all of those questions that you were talking about that you ask, um, about how, what does it feel like, what does it look like, what is it, that rather than answering it with words, you want to answer it with your senses. When you think, what does it taste like, you don't, well, it's sort of bitter. You want to taste it mm-hmm. for yourself. And again, it is very surprising when you really do investigate Again, a cup of coffee, a hot shower, something you said that's a, that's a beginning step. But ultimately, you can start doing specific locations. You can do, you know, what it feels like to have a headache. You can do people you know. You can do objects that have been important to you in your life. And so a lot of it is, again, doing that very specific work to build up a catalog of things that you know what your response is to. I also find that the, um, the more that you do it, this is a twofold thing, the more you do it, you obviously, be, it's like anything, you obviously become quicker at doing it. Uh, the ones, the exercises you've already worked on, so say you've worked tons on, or every morning you work on a cup of coffee, and that, yeah, that specific 
sensory sense memory will become quicker for you to access. But I also found that once I had this training and worked on it, what also became quicker is my senses as a recording device. Like once I got out in the world, I could touch a brick wall and boom, it's in, it's it's in my somewhere <laughs> and easy to much easier to access. Well, that's something that I think is is actually something that is worth remembering is that Stanislavski when he talked about sensory work actually didn't say actors should do sensory work. He said actors should be trained in sensory work. And I think that that's really important that uh, on one hand you can use it, but I know for myself it's a very similar thing. I my instrument, my availability even though, again, I don't, when I act, do a lot of sensory preparation for things, as much as a lot of other actors do, but I know that my availability to my environment increased 40-fold during the time that I was doing my sensory training. You know, and I think it's exactly what you're talking about, about opening your availability to, to experience. Yeah, you've, you've, you've trained your senses to be more receptive and and to allow those whatever that reception is, whatever input your senses are taking in, to activate you. So even if you, that's been my experience as well, and I think it's a very common experience, that even if you don't ever use sensory work in your preparation or in your work, you know, a lot of actors wind up not doing it simply because they've done so much of it in their work, uh, their homework, and by that I mean not in rehearsal, not in, in performance, that their senses are just... As you said, there's so much more available and so much more alive, they almost don't need to work on anything specific uh, when they get to performance. I actually have a technical question because I, I wasn't specifically trained in Stanislavski and the sensory sense memory work. I use it for myself, but I, I don't know the correct answer for this. When you guys are doing sensory work, do you close your eyes and imagine the cup of coffee and work on it that way or whatever you're working on, or is it looking out in front of you, like just what's the technical kind of to how me, it's you just, guys... You keep your eyes open because it's... To, to me, you keep your eyes open because it's one of the senses. You try to actually see the thing. Yeah. You want the thing, whatever it is you're working on, you want it in front of you, you want it around you, you want it... If I'm working on a person, the person is sitting, at least initially, they're, they're sitting across from me. They may get up and move or whatever, but you know, they're close to me. I would only close my eyes to differentiate if it was something where I, you know, want to feel what it, you know, touch it so that I know what it feels like, yeah. I may differentiate how that feels with my eyes open versus my eyes closed. But that's something that you would do, I think, with a real live object. You want to be able to imagine that the object is there with you rather than it's in your imagination, in your brain. That it's, it's not, you're not imagining it up here, you're imagining it externally in front of you so that you can experience it as if it were there. Since uh, a sensory exploration of something, of an object, of a person, of an experience, is an exploration that we say we want to approach as a blank slate without an expectation of what it's going to do, how do you know what you've learned from it and when you've learned it? The, ec the exercise of doing the sensory work is not a passive exercise. Once I've clearly imagined this object and have it with me or am experiencing it, what I do is I start expressing whatever whatever reaction that that particular object is giving me, I start expressing that vocally. I used to just express it through sound on breath, and then I, I used to start doing it with monologues um, and text that I had wrote, but what I really started doing was seeing how 
my body would physically respond if there was a physical action I wanted to do. And then if I would start expressing myself vocally, I would actually, um, this is going to sound crazy, but I would start reciting numbers in random order. The reason I would do that is because when I started doing a monologue, uh, you instinctively want to make sense of the monologue, which would distract me from the pure experience of the sensory work. Um, but I still wanted to see how the the, the sensory uh, experience made me active, what it made me uh, do vocally and physically. And what I found was by reciting numbers in just random order that I was able to still express words. Like the word 84 is a word that, you know, but... There's, I can't attach any particular subjective meaning to that word, 84. So that allowed me to keep uh, sort of a pure experience of how this object was, was affecting me physically. I'll get up and I'll move around in, in whatever way I feel like I'm responding to this. I'll vocally do that. that, that that's what I'll do to see. And out of that, you, you start realizing what this object makes you want to do, what this experience makes you want to do. And I think that's most important, is that your sensory work is there to activate the actor to behave truthfully. It's not so that you can feel something. It's not so that you can remember something. It's so that you can be activated to a clear action and believe it. And it's actually really interesting because I actually was thinking, I was talking to Jenny about something that I had resolved with someone. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, that I'd received an email from them and it was something that made me angry and I didn't and and then I, I you know worked it out and it was resolved and Jenny said do you have the email can I see it and I said I don't want to look at it again because I know the sensory mm-hmm. experience of looking at the email again was going to bring me back to what I thought when I first mm-hmm. saw it but it is something I know what it said I know what the email said but it's looking at it, that sensory experience of looking at it on a computer screen that was going to bring that back. But it's interesting because what it was going to bring back wasn't angry. I mean, it was angry. It was, but was this need to do something about it mm-hmm. when there was no need to do anything about it? And I think it's, I mean, it's what you alluded to. And I think you studied with Susan Aston too. Yes, I, I did. I did also. But I remember early in, in my sensory training with her, you know, someone was working on it and someone said, well, it makes me feel like she said, I don't give a shit how it makes you feel. Tell me what it makes you want to do. (laughs) And, but I think that that's, that's (laughs) but I think that's exactly, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's exactly what it is. Because again, as we've talked about in other episodes, what you, what you're doing on stage is all about your action. It's all about what you're trying to make Mm -hmm. happen with the other people on stage and not about you being up there and feeling things. Yeah. Well, you asked, you asked, um, uh, it became very clear to me just now w- how you know you've learned. What, what did you say? How, how do you know you've learned what, you, the, what you've gotten out of your exercise? Mm-hmm. Is um, I know I've learned when I'm com- when I have turned the corner into completely surprised by what's happening, because because of what we all tend to do. If somebody's saying, I remember we did this in school. They're like, go work on. We're working on rain. And I, of course, you immediately have this, you know, whatever movie you've seen or whatever times you're standing lonely in the rain and, like, you have these memories of, you have this emotional idea of what that's going to be. And I remember I was doing rain, doing rain, asking all the questions, where do I feel it, how, what's the temperature of it, how, how does it feel when it hits my skin? And I remember I, went, I, I asked, how does it feel when it hits my skin? And I felt this ice-cold raindrop 
like drip down my spine and I wanted to punch someone right in the face. <laughs> and that's how I knew. Because I, I wanted to do anything I could to get out of the rain. Because, and it, it was not sad and lonely and pretty. I was pit, I was angry. Because I don't like being cold and in the rain. And you wanted to do something very, very specific. Yes, I wanted to, it was very specific. I wanted to rip off my sweater and hit somebody. And I think it's... <laughs> in that order. But I, I think it's something that, that we've again talked about in other, episode, other episodes, but it's, it's true here too, which is there is no right answer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's something that I, I talk about when I teach it that, and, and things like that, that or at least I think about when I teach, that, that in theater education, the subject is the student. Mm-hmm. There isn't a right answer of how rain is supposed to make Carrie feel. Right. Um, you know, it's, you need to help when you're working with students, you need to help them find what they need to do to get, to get where they need to get. But that idea of, again, rain affects Carrie that way. Rain is going, the experience of rain is going to affect a different person a different way. And that's why, again, you know, go in with blank expectations, explore and find out what happens to you. And I think this actually also gets a bit into something we've discussed before um, in terms of working technique is that at this point, I think in all of our work, I actually remember with Susan, somebody asked her when when we were working, so do you do this for every, do you spend three hours working on something, uh, you know, before every show? She said, no, no, I don't need to do that anymore. And it is true that there comes a point at which you just know that you're working on something and when you've done it enough, boom, this is, I know, I figured it, I know what this is going to do, I know how I can use it. And it is something that I am a, a fair believer in, in really exploring things in all sorts of different ways until all of a sudden it hits you. This is something totally unavoidable. I and mean, we talked about it in terms of character history. You run through all sorts of options for where this person's coming from until you hit one that just smacks you in the face. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be useful for you. That thing that smacks you in the face, that the, the, the drip of cold water down your back that smacks you in the face and makes you want to do something immediately. That's your answer. But I think it's important and something I wish I had had a clearer understanding of or, or clearer appreciation from when I started working on sensory work is when you are first doing it for the first year or two, you really do need to give everything its chance. Mm-hmm. That you really do need to explore your cup of coffee for three hours and then do it again the next day to find out what happens because that's how you begin to recognize A, how you're affected, but B, how you become open to being affected by things. And I think it's it's something that I think early on, and I, again, I know I was guilty of it, when I thought of a cup of coffee for five minutes and it didn't make me want to do something, I thought, well, this is foolishness. Um, and and I, I just think it, it isn't, ultimately. Mm-hmm. It's useful if you, especially early on, really give it uh, its due. So once you have done your exploration and you've figured out what, rain does to you or whatever it is you're exploring how do you then use it how do you when you get to a scene and you want to use the sensation of rain or what your notebook from high school does for you how do you tap into it without taking up an entire rehearsal process well there's two answers to this a in terms of not taking up an entire rehearsal is that i think this should be clear is that you should be constantly we, we've made this point, you should constantly be doing, if you're interested in doing sensory work, it is something to be constantly explored so that you have this repertoire 
in your toolbox that you know how things will will affect you and you know what they'll make you want to do so that when you see a place in a play where you will need it you can go to it quickly I think it's important to note that while sensory work is a is a big part of my work and, and a big part of my toolbox I don't necessarily always assume that I'm going to use sensory work I use sensory work primarily uh, you know, we talked earlier in, in, in an earlier podcast about knowing who you are and who the character is and how you're similar and how you're dissimilar. And I find that the sensory work is often helpful for me in in those places where I'm dissimilar from the character, where I need to bridge certain gaps. So that's when I'll identify usually when I need to use sensory work. And I will do my sensory work at home. I do sensory work constantly uh, at home when I get up. It's part of you know, what I call my, my actor ritual along with vocalizing and and you know the body work I do and the articulation work I do and the script reading work I do, that's part of my morning. Uh, I go to the actor's studio, I, I book rehearsal time all the time, and I do my work there alone so that I know what this, uh, this sensory experience is gonna give me so I can prepare for it before rehearsal, walk into rehearsal, and still do all the other things that I'll be required to do for that rehearsal with this, this homework prepared. And I think that's important to know for two reasons. One, I think a lot of the, 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 the negative assumptions about sensory work, about method actors in general, come from, from actors who either don't understand or misuse you know, their sensory work, and they show up for rehearsal and make everybody sit around for 45 minutes while you know, they, they're staring at their cup of coffee or dealing with, with some sensory experience uh, and not doing their other work. The other aspect of the sensory work in terms of doing it as your preparation, is you have to know there's there's other things that you're going to need to achieve in that rehearsal. The director's going to have specific things that you're going to want to do, uh, both artistically and just sort of pragmatically, and you have to be able to, to do those as well to move the, the rehearsal process forward. And I think people have this misunderstanding that your the sensory work will shut you off from the other people that you won't be able to do anything but the sensory work. You won't be able to engage the other actors, you won't be able to concentrate on the uh, the, the practical things I'll need to get done. And I don't find that to be true. Again, I think the sensory work may, opens you up and makes you more available. And I'm able to bring my sensory work in and do those other things in the same way that I'm able to sit here now and be aware of the lights and where noise may be coming from and what my drink tastes like. You know, in the same way that my five senses are working now, I can do the same thing walking in a rehearsal, even though I've prepared a sensory experience. One thing I want to make clear is that I think there is a misconception that, like, say you're working on the um, the circumstance of the play, that, that sort of sensory ex- experience. The Like, it's set in Texas on a 95-degree day, so you're working on hot... Um, I find that those circumstantial things like that, like it's you're in the rain, I think that's what's actually happening in the play. It's still an, it's still something that you're trying to work through. <laughs> it, it's not like you you I, I think you once you find the grounding, like find the, the the sensory experience. Like right now, I'm doing this podcast and I'm I'm I feel like I'm 110 degrees, <laughs> and I'm trying to get through that. I'm aware of it, but I'm trying to get through that so I can continue what I'm doing. But um. So that's a, something I find that some people get lost in. I found hot, now I'm just going to hang out here. No, you're 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 going to try to get cool. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's something that we have talked about so often. Is ultimately, I think that's the thing is that 
sensory work is a preparatory tool yeah. rather than an acting tool, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. That, that what you do on stage is try to do something to the other people on stage. Mm-hmm. And the sensory work that you've worked through, same thing we've talked about um, in terms of uh, emotion on stage, those are obstacles. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that the story of the play and the fascinating thing about watching people live on stage is they are trying to do the thing they want, but they have all this other stuff they need to mm-hmm. deal with. Um, and I think that that's, that's yeah. really important. And I just think it, it fits into sort of a broader category of all, that actually I think is exactly why people don't, why method actors sometimes get a bad rap and it's because of the method actors who are busy being methody, quote unquote. Yes. And what they're playing is emotional memory or sense memory or something like that, which is really something that you're supposed to have and then fight through. Mm -hmm. Right. The sensory work exists to help the actor truthfully tell the story. The story does not exist for the actor to work on sensory work. And, And one technique that I think helps that and helps what we're all talking about in terms of being able to come in and have it and then tell the story when you get in rehearsal and when you get into performance, uh, Carrie actually really struck on, but that idea of finding triggers in that ultimately you're going to do your long exploration of, um, of a coffee cup, but ultimately you're going to find there's some element of it that really strikes you. And like Carrie was saying, she worked on rain and it was the moment where the drop went down, cold drop went down her back. That's what brought the reality of rain home for her. And that's something, again, that you want to be aware of as you're exploring, that what is the thing that's going to give me a shortcut to here? And, and it's something, again, I think you know it when you find, especially after you've been doing it for a while, is when that thing smacks you in the face. And I just, the other thing that's useful is once you've been doing sensory work for a while, you learn how your relationship to it works. Because I actually know I often find sort of weird... Uh, tight details of things are very evocative to me. Mm. That like I remember working on a telephone once and there was something that was actually very foreboding. It gave me this incredibly foreboding feeling and it was just like where you just saw the four and the seven and the edge of the phone but there was something about for whatever reason and again you don't judge it Mm. but it was that piece of the phone that brought this incredible feeling of foreboding to me. And it's surprising again, what will what will be activated and activating for you in sensory work. And so much of it is about being open to whatever it's going to be. Well, I think that's important is that what I find in, in my own work is that it's what I call the nonlinear work when I apply it to, to, to a performance that is most helpful for me. And hopefully maybe this will dispel a, a misunderstanding about the method or a misuse about it, is if there's a circumstance in a play that my character has to deal with that is very similar or that parallels a circumstance in my own life, I don't use that. I don't go to that. If I'm doing a play where my, my father has died and uh, I'm experiencing deep loss over that and, and a need for comfort, and in real life, my father has, has died, and I've experienced it. I don't work on my father. A, I'm not sure if it's that's an appropriate place to work that out. But B, more importantly, uh, in terms of getting an effective, truthful performance, because those things are so close, 
your body is a bit of a truth machine and it's going to under it, it's going to all those details where those don't mesh perfectly are going to leap out at you and you're going to know in this play you're not really dealing with your dad and if that's what you're trying to deal with you're going to have a very very difficult time because there's also all sorts of subjective psychological complex things going on there that will distract you from it so to get to kids point about you know not judging where you're going to get these things from what I find is is the very specific details those very sensory colors and textures and smells that are that I can't judge they just exist and this is the response I give to them what that allows me to do is to find something that doesn't distract me from the play because sort of the ignition it gives me is pure and there isn't anything else to for lack of a better term, distract me. I can now take that impulse and leap into the play rather than dealing with something in my own life. Yeah. And I think something that you, is in what you just said that we said before but I think is really worth re-emphasizing is with sensory work, you want to explore with all of your senses. And again, one of the things you're going to learn for yourself is which are the ones you want to go to first but that, 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 for instance, smell actually is the most connected to memory and most mm-hmm. connected to emotion just neurologically. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's something I think a lot of people, you know, think about sensory work and they get into touching and looking. But there's also tasting and mm-hmm. hearing, um, you know, that can be really useful things to that. Yeah. So once you've done your exploration of an object, discovered what it does for you, found your trigger have it in your repertoire of sensory items that you have at your disposal and know in theory what they're going to do for you. How do you incorporate them into your work on a play? There's three basic ways I'll use sensory work directly in building a performance. One is in the given circumstances of the play, and we've sort of hit on this. If it's very hot out, or my character is drunk, or it's snowing, these are things I may need to create. And as a sidebar, I guess this is one of the, the things that bother me when people say that they never use sensory work because there's given circumstances in a play that people who disavow what they understand method acting is, and I, I think I vocally made air quotes there, <laughs> would use what I would call sensory work to create a given circumstance in the play. The second uh, way I would use it is if there's a specific action I need. We talked about how, as an actor, I kind of like to be left alone by a director. And by that, what I mean is I tend to not need to get into real intense or intensive conversations about the psychology of the characters, unless there's something I really don't understand. But a director can tell me, listen, this is this is what this scene's about, or this is what he's really fighting for here. And if I'm clear on that, then I can go, and that's all he needs to say, or she needs to say, I can then go do my own work in in creating whatever that that action is, whatever that need is, because I I have that toolbox available to me. And the third aspect of how I'll use sensory work is uh, as a substitution, which is probably the rarest for me. If I'm supposed to be in love with my scene partner, let's say, and I'm not actually in love with my scene partner, uh, the first thing I'll do is I'll try to find something lovable about my scene partner, whether it's their voice, their hair, their skin, uh, you know, their talent, whatever it is that I can sort of focus on that will allow me to, to have a, you know, loving feelings for them. And if, if for some reason I can't ever find anything that works, 
what I'll then do is is substitute someone else for them. And I, I want to be really specific about this point because this is something else that I think people worry about with actors who are doing sensory work is that they'll feel like the person isn't really there because they're doing a scene with someone imaginary. And <laughs> people say is that it's like it's like they were up there doing the scene with their dead grandmother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I I completely understand that 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 accusation, and I've seen that struggle. What I do, first off, I hope it was clear like how many steps I'll get to before I even decide I need to use a substitution. But if I do need to use a substitution, I go to someone that I love in my life or something that I love, and I again focus on a very specific detail of them. If it is a person, it's a strand of their hair, it's their earlobe, it's a ring they wear, it's something that I can, that I identify with them. And then I overlay just that little part on my scene partner. So that thing's present, it's there, and I can tap into that. But, you know, my scene partner is still there, I'm still present in the scene, I'm still able to do everything that I need to do. And I think, f for me, I find that that's very helpful in terms of being able to use all this work without having a scene with my dead grandmother without needing to leave the scene and, and have an imaginary wall up between us. But it's all right for from time to time to glance down at your dead grandmother's ring. You know, that, that, exactly. that that's, that's why it's there. Yeah, yeah, that they have and you can look at it actually in the scene and it doesn't take you out and it doesn't turn the other person into, you know, into someone else. I mean, I certainly know I've talked to actors and I've seen it happen where it's like the person is talking like an inch in front of me. Mm -hmm. They're talking to the person they've laid over my face and I don't know <laughs> yeah. how to deal with them. Yeah. And that's that's not what we try to do right. with the substitution. I think all three of those uses, I think, are the primary uses of, of sensory work. Even though we don't try to go for emotion, there can be some things where if you know you need to come in really depressed by something, again... Not that you want to be working on being depressed in the scene, but if you can find something that uh, you know kind of puts you in that headspace, so you can walk in the room with that headspace without working on that headspace right. once you're in the room, that can be a very useful thing. I mean, I know one example, you've said that heat actually makes you angry. Mm -hmm. And that that's a, a helpful thing that rather than, um, if you know you need to walk in angry about something, rather than trying to work up what you think angry looks like or even doing too, too, too much work about the circumstances that make you angry if that's not as important to what's going on in the scene. If you can just do a little bit of heat work before you walk on stage, it can help get you there. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what's also important about, uh, in, in this case, the, the substitution of where this can be of practical purpose and, and not even just creative artistic purpose is particularly in film work, a substitution would come in really, really handy. Um, I, again, I know actors who disavow sensory work. Is I, I, you know, I want to be present with my partner. Well, if you're on a film, there's days you're going to be standing in front of a camera and you have to deliver your big monologue, and you're talking to a tennis ball a foot behind the camera because your 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 scene partner who you're in the scene with is not on set that day. And I, I find substitution a really helpful, <laughs> a really helpful tool at that point because the purity of having a partner and having that whatever's alive between you there, present, is, is not going to be there. And so the substitution to have something I really, really care about to overlay over the tennis ball that is my spot marker is really valuable to me. One of the other things that you talked about actually comes especially useful in film, which is circumstance. 
you know, that there are times when we know we worked on a film recently that took place in December that we shot in June. And, you know, there are times especially where there's a close-up of someone standing outside in the middle of winter and they've got a winter coat on and it's 85 degrees out. You know, you certainly can rub your hands together and shiver like you think someone who is cold looks like. Mm -hmm. But if you can actually do some work on what it actually feels like to be cold, your behavior is going to be much more interesting Mm -hmm. um, and much more realistic. And much more specific to what you would actually do in the cold. Mm-hmm. And it makes it it makes it you in that circumstance and not, you know, a stereotype or a character. Exactly. And I mean, that's something that we uh, have, have talked about a lot before, that the most interesting thing that an actor can do on stage is surprise you and surprise themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all have our picture again of what cold looks like, but why have an actor get up and do it if they're just going to do what we imagine in our head cold looks like. We want to see that actual individual living person be cold. Mm -hmm. And actually, that can also be useful, uh, that sort of sensory work, in terms of if you're doing a stage play and you're supposed to be in a jail in some, you know, third world country or something. Well, you're not actually, you're on a stage, but if you can do the sensory work on how, what the temperature is in this place, what it smells like, what you can hear outside, Mm -hmm. you know, um, what the ground feels like. Yes, absolutely, it's just a wooden floor of a stage, but you know what, probably it's rough cement, and what does that feel like for you? Again, it can make you live much more organically in that space if you've created a, if you've created the parts of the reality that stagecraft can't create for you. There's a criticism of film actors that's common that drives me nuts, which is the the accusation that uh, I, I just think they're always playing themselves, and I'm not exactly sure what that means. I think I think I know what that means, but if you imagine how the circumstances that that actor finds themselves in when filming that scene versus what the circumstances of the scene are and what they have to create to do that, like you said, Kit, you know, it, you're you're shooting something that's supposed to take place in December and it's June. You know, let alone the fact that you may have a camera two inches from your face that you have to pretend isn't there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's just there's just so many variables, particularly on a film set, that uh, I, I would find it there is a great challenge to uh, creating any specific circumstances. I think on a film set, including being yourself. Mm-hmm. I also will say that sensory work is generally considered, and I think for the most part, it is an actor's tool. But it was interesting as I was thinking about this topic in preparation for for recording this today that I actually realized how much my sensory training figures in to some of my work as a director and some of my work as a writer. I'll say as a director, it actually is not a tool that I find especially useful to work with actors about. Um, There are sometimes maybe if you know, the circumstances, if the, you know, making the location more realistic for a person, and especially someone who doesn't have a a lot of their own training about sensory work, to be able to walk them through a bit of, of creating the space. But for the most part, like we said, sensory work is largely about how you individually respond to it. So for me to suggest to Jenny, you should work on, you know, heat 
in this scene. Well, I don't know what Heat is going to do to Jenny. That's Jenny's job to know <laughs> what Heat is going to mm-hmm. do to Jenny. But I actually realized there's something that I do. You guys have all worked with me and will recognize it that I've never totally understood. And I think I realized only today that it actually is based in my sensory training. That there are times when I'm working with an actor and I get sort of stuck about what exactly to tell them. I will often get up and stand where they stand in the scene. And I just kind of lose myself in what's good. Jenny's nodding her head because she's seen (laughs) me do it. And what I realize is I think what I'm doing is sensorially creating the space that they're in. So I can get a sense of what are all the stimuli that are around them to give them something to respond to. That, but it's interesting because I, I, it's just something that I've always known I've done and never been quite sure why, but I think that's exactly what it is. I'm actually doing a sensory exercise for myself to put myself in that character's circumstances so I can figure out how thoughtfully to talk to the actor about that character's circumstance. And also I know as a writer, there are, especially with location, I find that I do have, you know, like there's my play, A, a Writer for Children, there is something that there's these scenes that take place in a in a kitchen that there's these bowls that I have and the sound of them clinking together that I always kind of go to when I'm working on those scenes that really put me right in that location. That same play, these uh, people go to a campsite and there's a very specific... Again, the picture that I have of the campsite is very different from any campsite I've ever been at, but there's a part of it that looks like this place that I used to go to and I realized that's the thing that connects me in. Um, makes three uh, is a play that takes place in a basement and the staircase of that basement is always when I sit down to write that's what I think of and again a very close up of a section of the staircase of the basement that looks very similar to the basement to a basement that I've been in Um, and also and this I I find interesting that uh, Sunshine which you guys know when I picture the room and I actually have a very clear picture of the room the bedspread looks like something I've never seen. But when I'm thinking about what the characters are doing very close up, the bedspread is exactly the bedspread that I had as a child. And I think that, which it isn't in my wide picture of the room, but when I'm thinking about the characters interacting with each other sitting on the bed, and it makes sense to me actually why that would be evocative to me about that particular play. And all of that is to say that even though I actually think of myself as not being as not having sensory work be something that's a very significant part of my process although it's a tool that I know I have in my bag I again I think it makes me realize how much having trained in sensory work really changed the way that I work not just as an actor but in other ways and again that that idea that's a, a finite difference but but I think it's an important one that Stanislavski again said not that people should use sensory work in their day-to-day life although I sure he was happy with people doing it but that actors should train in it and I think that that's a lot of why it just opens you up so much to your own instrument in a way that a lot of other things can't well, you think it's, it's the training that you're talking about and training your for lack of a better word your instrument that's so important is that sensory work is something that I believe in because you not believe in it's, it's not a religion but uh, it, it's something that I utilize because it's effective for me and as we said at the top it's one tool of a variety of tools some of which I use some of which I don't that, that an actor can utilize to help create a, a truthful believable search situation that they can then engage in and, and be truthful and believable and, and be in that character's world and 
I think the reason why I, I may sound defensive is, is a result of, of the skepticism about it is because I, I don't understand necessarily why there would be such opposition to what is essentially not even a school of thought. It's not, as I said, religious doctrine. It's a tool that an actor can choose to use and not to choose. And I don't understand specifically from other actors why they would choose to criticize an actor having a technique. And regardless of what that technique is, as long as that technique allows them to be truthful and believable and engaging, I'm not going to judge it, whether that's viewpointing, whether that's animal work, whether that's pure body work, whether that's Meisner, whether that's uh, uh, some sort of relaxation technique. Or, or just pure voice training, whatever that your type of training is, if it's getting you to engage in the work in a truthful, believable way, uh, I'm going to support that. And if I guess that's the thing is that it frustrates me is that this insinuation about uh, denying the importance of that tool uh, is sort of summed up by actors who will tell me, well, I, I just want to use my imagination because that's somehow a pure form of acting. And, my response to that is twofold. A, all sensory work is, is, is actively and specifically using your imagination. So I, I don't know if there's, there's too far a chasm to, to bridge there. But the other thing that, that I think that really strikes at home for me is that if you acknowledge that all these tools I've mentioned are tools that an actor can use, you have to acknowledge that acting is, is an art or a craft or a skill or a technique. And it's something that I respect and want to respect it by by utilizing and, and uh, these techniques and being better at my craft, I feel like acting is, is 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 such a wonderful art form that I appreciate, and that's my my gift back to it. And I think that's where my defensiveness comes from: is this sort of implied insistence that it's not really a craft, that it's not really an art, and we would never do that to any other artist. We would never tell a musician just get up and play. Don't worry about it. There are scales and fingerings and and chord progressions to learn. If you're a painter. You don't just tell them, you know, the, the, the cute thing that Spencer Tracy says that people like because it's, it's cute and self-deprecating that, you know, all acting is is knowing your lines and not bumping into the furniture. Well, that's, that's cute and it's funny, but you would never tell a painter, you know, you'd never stick a brush in his hand and go, don't get any in the carpet. You know, there, there's geometric shapes and perspective and still lifes to learn. And I guess that's maybe where my, my both my passion for talking about acting and and my somewhat defensiveness about my particular skill set comes from, is that I, I, acting is a craft to be respected. It is a skill to be respected, and, and I want to work hard at it to respect it. I think the reason that sensory work is met with so much skepticism is that it actually gets it from both sides. That on one hand, there are people who think of themselves as being very thoughtful, very thought-driven, very intellectually driven, and the idea that thinking about a cup of coffee is going to bring out emotions that I don't know is going, it's going to bring about, A, seems unlikely, and B, I think people who think that way, and honestly, I think that's part of why I was skeptical about it initially, is that it creates a sense of lack of control. That idea that I am going to think about something and my body is going to do something that I don't expect it to, Again, for people who have built a life around doing the thing they intend to do and think of themselves as what makes me a good actor is that I can do things that I intend to do, the idea that they're going to 
find something that's going to make them do something they don't intend to do is uh, scary. scary. Yeah. And what they don't realize, of course, is that what it's about is about investigating those things so that you can use that to make your body do things that you don't, that you do intend it to do Mm -hmm. in ways that you can't just make it do it that way by thinking. And on the other hand, there are people who do have incredibly available instruments who, frankly, their imagination does get them there to these places without having to do sensory work. Mm -hmm. There are a lot fewer of those people out there as think there are out there. But there are people like that out there. And the fact of the matter is that they, A, don't have to use it if they, if they don't want to. But also, I don't know that they necessarily ought to begrudge people who are not as gifted as they are in that way for using what's ultimately science. I mean, really what we're talking about is Pavlov. Is that, mm-hmm. is that the same way that Pavlov could train his dogs to react to a bell and salivate. Likewise, our entire life has conspired to give us uh, connections of all sorts to all any number of different things in our lives that we don't realize are there. There's science behind it. The same way you walk into a room that smells like your first grade classroom and all of a sudden you've got these incredibly vivid memories of your teacher and your friends and all of the things that happened that year. Essentially what sensory work is is taking the time to allow yourself and having a tool to investigate the ways to access those things for yourself. And those people who can do that on their own, God bless them. Um, But not everybody can. And even those people who think they can, if they give sensory work a real chance, I think will find that they can do more than they think they can otherwise. And again, ultimately, I think a lot of what it did for me was turn me a lot more into one of those people who can do it without doing all the work. You know, it, it opened up my instrument in a really meaningful way. And uh, and actually preparing for this and talking about this today, is, is I actually have appreciated the, the experience of it a lot because I do think of myself as being glad that I did sensory work but being relatively distant from it because I don't do the exercises very much anymore. But it really is one of those techniques that, even though I don't use day-to-day, has really shaped who I am as an artist. I really appreciate that you, you brought up the term science, because A, there's evidence that Stanislavski actually was very aware of what, what, what Pavlov was doing with his dogs. But also the, what we're talking about in terms of people who are very, very talented and, and therefore may disavow the method is that what Stanislavski initially was after was there were nights that they had performances where people were absolutely brilliant. And then the exact same people the very next night, the play didn't come off well. They were terrible or it was just mediocre. They didn't have that same sort of euphoria you get where the, where the play just takes off. And Stanislavski was after a system in which brilliance could be, I don't even say brilliance, in which truth and believability could be repeatable. That And that is what I think makes acting a craft is that it's not this thing that you get out there and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. If you got a good crowd or you were just feeling it that day, that's not really, I, I'm not sure what that is, but I really don't believe that that's, that's artistry. And what Stanislavski was after was a way for actors to be able to repeat their most brilliant moments reliably. And sensory work is one of the many tools that he and other people have developed to allow people to do that. I think that's a good place to wrap up. 
So, for Jenny, Kerry, Tim, and myself, thanks for listening. If you have not yet subscribed, please go to iTunes and do so. If you are subscribed and like what you're hearing and want other people to hear it, let people know the podcast is out there. And uh, also go to iTunes and write us a review and give us stars. And if you want to know more about the Cry Havoc Company, what we're about, our programs, our people, and the work we have going on, please visit www.cryhavoccompany.org. So for all of us at the Cry Havoc Company, we'll be back soon to talk about the art and craft of being a writer, director, and actor, and the realities of being a working artist in New York City. So thanks a lot, and we'll talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavoccompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.